Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about Hong Kong. Uh, from my view, it looks like it's uh, a little uh, too much democracy could be fatal for either side. Uh, Jim, is that a pretty good take on it? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's there's more to it, of course, and that's where it gets interesting. The uh, Hong Kong was always a ever since it, the British gave it back in 97 as per the, you know, the century old agreement they had with various uh, Chinese governments. Um, China realized that Hong Kong was an opportunity, but, you know, the, the Chinese word for opportunity means risk. Uh, and Hong Kong was certainly that. Uh, they basically had to, uh, how should I put it, uh, make extreme efforts to placate the, the Hong Kongers. I mean, fortunately, the British understood this and they, they gave them uh, – the option of second a second citizenship as Britons, but not the kind that can reside in Britain. Uh, but many of them could use that to go out to other countries. Uh, and China was afraid that the goose would, you know, fl flew the, fly the coop uh, once China took over. So China, for the first few well decade, I would should say, uh, were quite good about keeping their word. Uh, <clears throat> But the temptation was always there, and the uh, especially in light of Tiananmen, the 1989 uh, uprising and uh, uprising protest in uh, Beijing, which was put down with extreme force. Um, the uh, the Chinese have been wary of there being another one. Now, as all things uh, usually go, China is being hit with another Hong Kong crisis at the worst possible time. The main uh, value of Hong Kong to China is financial. It's economic. I mean, uh, basically, there are several, uh, you know, uh, Chinese uh, democracies who are independent, you know, states, Singapore, Taiwan, and, of course, Hong Kong, uh, which have done enormously well, much better than anything, anyone else in China. And the Chinese are painfully aware of that. They wanted to get some of the magic without being infected, as Austin puts it, <laughs> with democracy. <laughs> uh, and now the the basically as the uh, the hardliners in China have bit by bit, you know, the the, the death by a thousand cuts. Uh, they've they've uh, systematically over the last you know five ten years uh, been trying to uh, how should I put it control Hong Kong, you know, control their freedoms, uh, especially their freedom of speech, uh, which they alone in China have. Uh, Tiananmen does not go unremembered in, in Hong Kong, much to the chagrin of the Chinese, because they realize the rest of China eventually finds out what's going on in Hong Kong. And, you know, a lot of Chinese say, well, hey, why not us? I mean, Chinese were already upset 
that uh, even before the economic revolution in uh, in uh, in China over the last thirty years, that you know Singapore and Taiwan were doing much better than they were, and even South Korea. Oh heavens, the Koreans! I mean barbarians, and they're outstripping. I mean it was bad enough for the Japanese, but the Japanese are officially and forever evil. Uh, so they they really don't count the Japanese who are considered aliens. Uh, but the uh, you know, you couldn't deny Singapore uh, and Taiwan and of course South Korea are you know used for, for centuries have been subservient to the uh, to the China uh, not independent but still you know, they would they would basically obey the elder brother the Japanese not so much um, so the Chinese government realizes that most Chinese understand this i mean although the their internet is heavily censored it is also heavily monitored and the mss the you know the secret police they regularly pass on to the leadership uh summaries of public opinion and the the leadership pays attention to that and they were getting more and more reports about you know uh, chinese basically saying why not us (laughs) Uh, can't say it out loud can't say it too, you know, uh, too obviously, but the MSS was picking up the chatter uh, that was getting through the censored internet and uh, even the cell phone conversations and texts and saying, you know, we got a we got a potential problem here. And of course, what also haunts the Chinese is what happened uh, in early 1989 when the uh, when the Eastern European uh, communist governments just boom, poof, collapsed. The, 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 you know, the, those governments found out they had no support, they had no control, and they just said, okay, we surrender. Chinese don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, reality is what it is. And now they have the, um, the Hong Kongers. Uh, by the way, most Hong Kong Chinese identify as Hong Kongers, not Chinese. Um, Although there's there's a growing minority who basically are are all for you know swearing allegiance to uh, Mother China or actually in, in China you don't swear allegiance like the military and what have you to China but to the Communist Party of China, uh, which is another you know uh, communist era artifact which still lives in China, uh, and, and the um, uh, the. The Hong Kongers are realizing that that this thousand cuts, you know, drill uh, is is proceeding no matter what the Chinese government may officially say. And they basically put their collective feet down, you know, in terms of millions of people in the streets at the same time for a population of what, seven and a half million. Uh, That is scary. Um, And then, of course, you have the fact that the uh, a lot of Hong Kongers have taken to waving American flags. Now, the, the funny thing is. You ask the Hong Kongers who are waving the American flag, are they are they basically uh, want to be like America? And they say, no, no, we want to be like what America has. In other words, it's a symbol of you know democracy, freedom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the uh, the Chinese basically are now under economic pressure because of well all the things we've covered regularly in strategy page, but basically it comes down to you know our current hard-ass president, uh, confronting the Chinese and saying, look, you got to resolve these these long list of grievances you've compiled up with us over the decades. 
or else. And the Chinese are basically in a very weak bargaining position. They don't admit it, but that's the reality. Talk to anybody in finance and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, the Chinese need Hong Kong now more than ever. So they can't stomp down too hard. This is not Tiananmen Square where you basically had a lot of young Chinese students, academics, what have you, uh, people that Chinese leaders in the past have just wiped out if they got in the way. Uh, in Hong Kong, we're talking about money, and the Chinese are always – all Chinese governments going back thousands of years are kind of you know, more careful, more prudent when it comes to protecting what they consider important assets. And I'm talking cash, you know, not college professors. Uh, the, uh, the Hong Kongers are aware of this. I mean their, their, their population – uh, is much better off in economically, educationally. They still get a Western-style education. Uh, they are free thinkers, something that Chinese have been trying to inspire among their population, but given the way their educational system works, uh, it's difficult. Um, so it's a, it's a love-hate relationship. Uh, and the, uh, the Hong Kongers are basically trying to take advantage of it. I mean, all they're doing now with these current demonstrations is trying to get the elected or selected because the Chinese have a lot of influence on you know, who gets to uh, go and run in these elections and what have you. Um, the elected government to basically cancel the bill, the extradition bill, which would basically have allowed the Chinese to basically grab any Hong Konger for any reason they could make up. And, and everybody knows the Chinese will make up reasons and haul it back to China and have their have their way with them. Uh, this to the Hong Kongers is a is an enormous affront to the freedoms they were guaranteed. And I think the MSS is also picking up, you know, uh, <laughs> the chatter in Hong Kong in that if the Chinese do crack down, Hong Kong as everybody's known it for the last, you know, uh, 20 years will disappear because the Hong Kongers will say, screw this, I'm out of here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's much like, again, 1989, East Germany, uh, the wall came down and all the Germans who didn't want anything to do with communism started running. And, you know, the, the communist leaders did the math and said, my God, we'll have no, no, no East Germans left if this goes on. So they just give up. Chinese don't want to be put in that position. And fortunately for them, they won't be because it's, it's just the Hong Kong thing. So all they have to do is observe the agreement. Um, and there, so it is not as much at stake as you might think, because, uh, if they do that, they can do it without losing face. Uh, they can basically, you know, they're, they're very good at this, you know, political battle battle, you know, coming up with excuses for something they should have done anyway. Um, and backing away. Uh, and it's basically uh, on the right side. The hardliners in China are the ones who are taking the most heat because they say, well, we have to, we have to, we have to. And basically, the, you know, the government comes back with, well, are you going to make up the lost money and financial access and et cetera, et cetera. The Chinese, the Hong Kong GDP is basically the same as about the same as Singapore, but they have about. 30% fewer people, uh, more people, I'm sorry. Uh, and the and the Chinese have always wanted to get their hands on Singapore, but they're unlikely to do that because, you know, well, they haven't made claim to it yet. Uh, Taiwan is another matter. If they basically 
come down too hard in Hong Kong, Taiwanese, more and more Taiwanese are saying, well, you know, we could do a Hong Kong with China. Well, now they are reconsidering that uh, because they're seeing what's going on in Hong Kong. And China realizes, well, man, the, the, the Taiwanese <coughs> already have mutual defense agreements or something close to it with the Americans. Uh, and we don't want to trigger World War Three over Taiwan. We'd like it back. We think we'll eventually get it back, but not if we basically uh, rip up the promises we made in Hong Kong, promises which don't have to be you know, wiped out because everybody's making money. Everybody's doing fine. The hardliners in China are just annoyed that these uppity Hong Kongers, smart Alex, uh, financiers of all things who are more untouchable than college professors, uh, are basically making them look bad. Well, tough. Everything has a price. And basically, it's a question of the entire Chinese leadership agreeing that, all right, we'll pay the price. So far, that's still up in the air. Austin? I, I think that the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party's got itself in a bind here that's a little bit more difficult than uh, Jim portrays it. If I listen very closely, Jim, and you, you, they are in a, in a bind, but they face they face a problem in in, in Hong Kong that is Tiananmen Square uh, cubed. At, uh, it, it's you, the money is the issue, but also is the freedom, and there is uh, a element in the Chinese Communist Party that is desperately afraid of the infection. As uh, you know, it's, it's, I think that's the way they look at it of democracy and freedom, and at this 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 group. Overlaps, and uh, if you're thinking of a Venn diagram, a great deal of a Venn diagram with another another group that is the, the Dragon Revives group. China, China's back on the prowl. We're going to write correct 200 years, 300 years of bad history, and we're going to be the hegemon in, in, in Asia. Uh, that's another reason. It's not just money for uh, coveting uh, Taiwan. Singapore, being the hegemon in, in the South China Sea, the hegemon on uh, the Korean uh, Peninsula, uh, acquiring what they see as a Chinese island, uh, Singapore. Uh, they don't see it as a self-governing <laughs> this is, I've heard Singaporeans say this. Hey, we're a self-governing British colony. All we do is we took <laughs> over and we still. Well, Art, you have to understand the way that was it was set up to get the joke. But it's it's a it's a it's a it is a good joke. Meaning, hey, wait a minute. It really wasn't. It was. Yeah, we had all kinds of you know freedoms. But if you really got down to it, the the, the appointed governor or the crown could could do anything. Uh, he wanted. Well, that's kind of the way we've set up the government down here. That's the Singapore joke. One other thing, Jim, I think some of our Canadian listeners are going to be terribly upset that you left out another major Chinese financial city. That's Vancouver, Vancouver, <laughs> British Columbia. And it, but that might, the joke fits right in with what you said about Hong Kongers uh, <clears throat> hedging their bets, buying uh 
uh, you know, condos and, and land in, in, uh, in, in Canada and the, and the United States. Uh, it's interesting that our State Department now has limited Chinese investment acquisition uh, of, of land and buildings here in the United States. Part of that is the sanctions, but Hong, that's, that's from mainland China, not from Hong Kong. A Hong Konger with a Hong Kong residence uh, passport, just like uh, somebody from Singapore or, or someone from uh, any other uh, reasonably free country, that, that comes in and says, we've got money and we'd like to invest it in, in the United States. That's also another reason that the, that the Chinese Communist Party has to be very careful with Hong Kong, because it is a conduit for investment, legal investment. In, and also shady investment because it can be it can be abused. But here's why I I, I, I argue that there's much more to it as from this <clears throat> cabal. Let's just use that word. Click group, very influential group within the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Look back over the last four or five years, and now that the Hong Kongers use the term localist. Uh, Actually, I think the, the 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 mainlanders do too when they're uh, talking about uh, groups within uh, Hong Kong. And localists are usually characterized as as wanting self determination in Hong Kong. In other words, living up to the Sino-British Joint Declaration, which is Jim said this. That's all the CCP has to do, but they're not doing it. Uh, don't, that, there's one element of localists that says, okay, that, but there's another group of localists that say they want uh, self-determination. And the self-determination, I mean, I said, excuse me, independence. Now, that's, that's the cry that uh, Beijing doesn't want to hear, you know, independence. Well, the reason that this group, this more radical group of localists, has, well, there's always a group that was kind of wanted that anyway, but it's grown is because they don't trust Beijing, and they've got good reasons for it. And like I said, over the last four or five years, uh, Beijing has forbidden certain um, politicians in Hong Kong, legislators with these localist views uh, from running for the uh, legislative council. They've even disqualified a couple of the uh, of the parties, and they see uh, the Hong Kongers not <laughs> being extremely well informed, saying this is what you do you do over in the mainland. This is direct violation of the uh, Sino-British uh, Joint Declaration. You intend to move in here. We don't have 50 years. We've got five years or, or five months or, or five weeks, and the. If that, what it's done is convince a large number of, uh, well, the international media tends to concentrate in the 20-somethings and 30-somethings. It's just not that group. There's some older Hong Kongers that say, no, we, you know, we've been here. We don't want uh, our special place, our special administrative zone to become uh, just another part of the uh, you know, Chinese uh, Communist Party gulag. Uh, and that's so you, you've got you've got radicals that do exist, that uh, Beijing says we can't have uh, that degree of infection. 
we can't have it spread, and that's into China, into communist China, and that's the Tiananmen Square tiger that I talk about, fear that you're going to have uprisings and demands for uh, democratic change uh, in, inside communist China. It's happened before, and it had to be put down with mass slaughter. It had to be. That's what uh, Deng Xiaoping decided to do in June of, of, of 1989. The radical localists or let's say the independence group, it wasn't just the independence group. Let me correct that, that now. There were uh, organizers of the current protest specifically invoked Tiananmen Square. Now, whether that was smart politics or not, they kind of couldn't help it, given that that extradition law that Jim mentioned had been promulgated through the Legislative Council with the backing of the party in Hong Kong that is pro-communist. And it's, it's the mouthpiece of Beijing and their Hong Kongers who are in this. Uh, it been promulgated th- uh, this year, and this happened to be the, let's say, the uh, 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square uh, uh, slaughter. Uh, you, you couldn't miss the 30th anniversary. And it, you couldn't miss that it was tied in with this extradition law. That was exactly everything Jim described. I, I wrote a, um, uh, a column about this not, not too long ago, about that extradition uh, that included a d- description of what the extradition law uh, <clears throat> was about. And it's if what it basically did was is that uh, if you had committed a crime, you could be extradited or allegedly committed a crime, you could be moved from Hong Kong to uh, a a prison or a holding cell, whatever, inside uh, the People's uh, Republic of China. And it was the Hong Kongers uh, saw it as, and and this is the way I I worded it, a totalitarian tentacle that kind of gets inside Hong Kong, snakes around the... uh, guarantees of the Sino-British uh, Joint Declaration, and virtually anybody, once once they had started this as a process, virtually anybody uh, Communist China wanted to arrest could have, uh, would have to have faced, faced the, the uh, faced the being extradited. Uh, into the uh, into the People's Republic. In other words, it was uh, it, it was a poorly disguised uh, power play. Uh, that is what galvanized in June and into the uh, this month into and well, last month, excuse me, July. You 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 had two and three million people, uh, close to half of the uh, uh, special administrative zones population participating in these uh, demonstrations. One last thing to say, and this is what uh, the, uh, the point to make, and this has concerned me. There is evidence, I've read it in the, uh, a couple of English language uh, uh, Asian newspapers, also read it in, in uh, uh, Western, uh, Western reports, that triads, uh, the uh, tongs, another word for them, that uh, organized criminal gangs, uh, had infiltrated some of the demonstrations, and they were the ones responsible for some of the vi- uh, violent attacks. 
Well, we know what that is. That's a deception operation to justify a crackdown. And notice what we've been getting from Beijing over the last, actually the last six weeks. If the Hong Kong police aren't respected and they don't stop the riots, we'll move in. Well, they don't have to move in that much. There is a Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army garrison uh, in, uh, in, inside, uh, inside Hong Kong. But it, this could be used as a justification to uh, you know, attack and uh, absorb it. Uh, I don't doubt for a moment that there are indiv- there are people there are, uh, there are, are groups within the Chinese Communist Party and, and the government in Beijing that would just love to do that. The sobering fact is, is what Jim said: money counts, and Hong Kong is a golden goose. And to use that uh, old, old description, it uh, it's uh, a banking center. Uh, par excellence for a- Asia. Part of the reason it is is that it, uh, you can enforce contracts. It's still got the structure of British democratic law, and that's its strength. The rest of the People's Republic, no. And uh, if if China if China did invade and crush it, uh, it's it, uh, any sort of rapprochement with Taiwan is uh, off the table for the next four or five decades, if it's really on the table now. Uh, Asia goes, goes tilt. It's already sort of gone, gone, uh, uh, gone tilt. And then uh, China has to look and, and, and see its Belt and Road Initiative and all the other uh, diplomatic, economic expansion initiatives uh, it, those are going to be uh, contested. Not that they're not being contested now. That, that started, especially on the part of the United States. Uh, they're going to they're going to run into a great deal of of, of uh, resistance uh, throughout Asia. I, th- I think it's something that would ultimately force India into its. India is already in a kind of a. <laughs> Sub Rosa alliance with Australia and the United States and Japan that that might bring India more to the surface in its defense relationships with uh, the the Quad as it's already called. So I'll just leave it at that. It's <laughs> which is a lot of that. I do think that the cabal is in, in somewhere in Beijing is interested in in knocking off. Uh, uh, Hong Kong, I, I hope that the sober heads and those who control the wallets tell them, uh, don't do it. Jim, there were some reports that uh, video and like that of the protests were making it back into uh, mainland China. What is the impact of that? Well, it, this, uh, what's happening with the information getting back into China uh, which is not that difficult because the Hong Kong has always had a relatively freedom of movement between southern China and Hong Kong, especially for Hong Kongers, but also people in southern China, Xinjiang, who were doing business in Hong Kong. And as with North Korea, which had a much smaller economic relationship between you know North Korea and China, those those uh, those people who were able to cross the line, as long as they didn't go public. 
as long as they just basically said what they were going to say in private, in you know, in in bars and whatever, uh, and then the information would slowly filter out. Uh, they could get away with that, but now, as Austin points out, there's a lot more information to consider. And what this Hong Kong situation is also doing, which again uh, angers the hardliners, but also chastens them, is that it is exposing, as Austin put it, a lot of the bad practices China is quietly trying to get away with worldwide. Look at Venezuela, where the Chinese are quietly going in there, rebuilding the oil infrastructure as much as they can, trying to get Maduro not to self-destruct. But now a lot of uh, South Americans are going to realize if China stays and Maduro stays, we have basically a a powerful uh, communist dictatorship next door. Uh, And do we really want that? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, another area where the Chinas are being basically exposed, light is being shined, is the control China exercises over the hundreds of thousands of Chinese studying overseas. Uh, these are often called quietly the ugly Chinese. In other words, if, if Beijing says, uh, go out and demonstrate against such and such, uh, the Chinese students will. But now they have, they have to come out and they're getting basically so much blowback when they do this. I mean, normally they would they would discipline their own uh, quietly, but now a lot of the overseas Chinese students are complaining openly that yes, the basically Chinese students, a large segment of the Chinese students, are basically operatives of the Chinese secret police and the Chinese intelligence agencies, and they do what they're told without question. Uh, a lot of us are here just to get an education, but you know. These thugs are basically making us all look bad. Uh, that's happening throughout the world. In Africa, uh, you know, China is basically controlling more and more of the mineral, uh, legal and illegal, you know, mineral ex- ex- you know, extraction industries. And a lot of the, the despots that China cozies up to, even in places like Zimbabwe, are saying, wait a minute, you know, I think the price might be a little too high for what China is is giving us. And China really doesn't give anything. They make loans, uh, they make investments, uh, they, you know, they have this, this habit of bringing in Chinese workers to do all the work so they don't bring new jobs. Uh, and, and of course, this is, as we've reported in strategy page, you talk about our, you know, you notice our coverage of Thailand and uh, and uh, uh, Burma, uh, they're, they're getting pushed back there, uh, especially in Thailand, which is, which is, again, one of the few Asian nations that was never colonized. And that's because they're tough, they're astute, and they see a stalking horse, you know, when, they, when, when one wanders into their, you know, their territory. And that's what they see the Chinese is trying to do. And of course, Vietnam and Korea are traditionally, you know, uh, how should I put it? You know, uh, satellites. You know, subjects. They'll they'll kowtow to the Chinese, but they're not run by the Chinese, and they want to keep it that way. And they are extremely sensitive to Chinese ambitions. The South China Sea is 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 bad news. In other words, all the bad moves that China has been making to expand to 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 redress the centuries of of of, uh, of uh, depredations China has suffered, you know, in the last few centuries. Uh, is now being exposed as uglier than you even you know, suspected. Uh, and it's all because of the Hong Kong publicity. It's not just shown a, shined a light on what goes on in Hong Kong, but what goes on with the Chinese 
uh, operations worldwide. As Austin points out, it's it's more than just Hong Kong. And uh, what it comes down to is how much are the hardliners willing to pay? How much will they be allowed, you know, uh, to pay, as it were, uh, to suppress what's going on in Hong Kong? Because as as the as the as the as as Austin puts it, the sober heads in 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 Hong Kong, many of whom are willing to to basically uh, be pawns for the Chinese government. They say, hey, look, you know, if if we try to do another Tiananmen, you know, we're going to lose Hong Kong. I mean, the Chinese were, you know, they, when they did Tiananmen, they lost, you know, 10, 20,000, you know, obstreperous uh, 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 civilians. Um, and that, and then tried to erase it from the, from the official history. Uh, but in Hong Kong, it's going to be a major hit in the pocketbook, not just in terms of, you know, uh, you know, cold cash, but in terms of, as Austin made clear, access to world banking and investments that China itself can, Chinese themselves can't make, but Hong Kongers can. So it's a much, it's a much higher risk uh, situation than Tiananmen. The Hong Kongers aren't asking for what, you know, the Tiananmen Square uh, protesters were, were calling for, and that was democracy, participative democracy, which the Chinese are actually allowing more and more at the local level. Uh, but, you know, Hong Kong basically is just saying, look, just, uh, just observe the agreements you made, you know, 20 years ago. That's all we ask. And they're, they're basically being annoying because they're being reasonable. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's no easy solution for China. And, there, and I think more and more Chinese leaders are realizing, you know, trying to go hard on, on Hong Kong is probably a mistake. And, you know, how are we going to get out of it? I mean, they're blaming it on the United States, which I think is just, you know, on, on their on their protocols. You know, if, if there's some unrest somewhere, blame America. Uh, but even that, you know, backfires because basically, you know, it's surprised that Americans as much as anybody else. And by the way, the Tiananmen, uh, the connection. Uh, it should be noted that these uh, demonstrations were in a, in sort of triggered by the 30th anniversary uh, memorials and, and, and demonstrations held in Hong Kong, the only place in China where you can remember uh, Tiananmen. And then, and then, of course, you know, Hong Kongers noticed, well, look, you know, we have a real problem with this extradition thing, you know, uh, and, and that became the issue. And they're not really going much beyond that. They say, just do what you said you would do. Not what you want to do, but what you said you would do. We can live with that. <laughs> and that's going to be the conundrum. Will, will the Chinese leadership be able to be reasonable and, and work in their own interests? Or will they basically fly off? And, and the hardliners are having a lot of having having their way a lot, you know, setting up that their naval base in Djibouti. Uh, they're trying to set up another one in Cambodia. Uh, the Chinese government was really very much against overseas military bases. Uh, even even the South China Sea uh, expansion makes a lot of Chinese leaders nervous because China for thousands of years has been a continental power. I mean, they had the ability centuries ago. They sent a, a tribute fleet out uh, in the 15th century, and they were, ranged as far as, as the Middle East and Africa, and everybody bowed down. I mean, it was hundreds of very large warships with troops in the whole nine yards. Uh, and But then the emperor, when they got back and they reported, said, okay, burn the fleet. 
That's it. We've done it. You know, we've made our point. Um, and a lot of Chinese are saying, you know, the emperor back then was correct. You know, once you get involved in overseas wars, uh, it costs you more than you think you're going to make. And I think that's another argument, a debate that's going on inside of China. How much do we want to risk uh, with these overseas adventures? And basically threatening Hong Kong is, is, is triggers a lot of overseas blowback. Uh, Dan, let, let me let me make a point on this, Jim. There that there is a pro independence faction in in Hong Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, the cynics say that that's got to be in, infiltrated by the the the, the, the communists and it used as a raison d'etre to act against uh, uh, Hong Kong. But, no, but the thing is, is there are legitimate, sincere pro-independence advocates, and they point to Singapore and they point to South Korea, and then they are saying, hey, look, you can rock and roll in both these places and make money and you're you're free. You can never trust the communist government in Beijing. Look at what they are. Therefore, then they make the leap of faith that all we can you know, the, our best case is, is independence, and we're like we're like Singapore. Then you move back to the other localists and say, no, no, wait a minute, we're not in the same geographic position as Singapore. We're right next to uh, mainland. We are part of mainland China, actually, is is what we are uh, geographically. We aren't uh, at the bottom half of the Korean Peninsula with a, you know, a, a communist gulag as a buffer state. Meaning this is uh, South Korea. We do have the same kind of systemic advantages that Singapore and South Korea have. And guess what? We've been guaranteed those in the Sino-British Joint Declaration. And this comes in, Jim, where you're saying, hey, Beijing, just live up to what you agreed to, and we're cool. We're cool. And again, I think the important word here is conduit. Hong Kong is so valuable to mainland China because it is a conduit that <coughs> legal, yes, contracts can be enforced there. Investors uh, from all over the world have trusted it, have trusted it. That extradition law, though, look, the, the, the quirk in that was is that Hong Kong could transfer uh, criminal suspects to countries with which it did not have an extradition treaty. Well, Hong Kong's got extradition treaties with a lot of countries, but guess what? One place it doesn't is communist China. And for the very reason that you know, sitting there thinking about it, uh, well, why don't that just gives Beijing a reason to come in here and arrest anybody it wants to? All right. And once you've done that, you've really broken the protection of the democratic contract law, uh, individual rights legacy that Hong Kong, that Hong Kong has. So it's, it's that that extradition law really was a threat. And Jim, that had been building for several months. The thing is, though, is that, as you said, and I, that was a, a, a good point, Hong Kong is the one place on mainland China that you can commemorate uh, Tiananmen Square and talk about it in public and write books about it and, and write essays condemning uh, the Communist Party for having uh, uh, committed the massacre. And that is something else that just 
uh, angers the CCP uh, and the Politburo no end because they know they're guilty of having committed that. They know it. So uh, complicated, huh, Dan? Really complicated. Yeah, it uh, makes one's brain hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there, and we'll talk to you, gentlemen, next time. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.